Welcome to McGay Minis, Episode 3, How Do Agaves Reproduce? I am your host, Sabrina. And I am your host, Lorena. As we have mentioned in previous episodes, McGays are multi-annuals, meaning they flower only one time before they die. These plants grow slowly, preparing for the final stage of their life cycle, which can take anywhere from 5 to 40 years, depending on the species and environmental conditions. All agaves that remain healthy will produce a flowering stalk called a quiote. However, sexual reproduction resulting in the creation of seeds is not their only mode of reproduction. Because of the extreme environments in which magueys grow and their biological drive to reproduce, some species have developed very effective ways to get genetic copies into the world. Some magueys produce clonal copies, such as ijuelos, or in English, pups, and bubillos, or in English, bubils. Lore, can you describe these in more detail? Yeah. Well, the ijuelos are rhizomorphic genetic copies of the mother plant. They form as offsets from underground stems known as rhizomes. They shoot out from the piña and grow. When this little plant develops its own root, it will break away from the mother plant and establish itself nearby. Humans will harvest these hijuelos uh, when they are big and healthy enough. We cut them, we let them dry a little bit, and then we plant them in new rows. That is how we establish spadin fields for like intensive agave cultivation. Also, the tequilana fields are established with hijuelos from other fields. Some plants produce bulbillos. These are small clones of the mother plant that grow from the flower branch in the quiote. Some maguey species don't create any clones, and they only reproduce through seed. Yeah, that's right. And we will talk more about the ijuelos and bubillos a little later in this episode. But for now, let's begin by describing the biological process of sexual reproduction Magueyes undergo to produce its quiote, or flower stalk. Well, uh, the basics of sexual reproduction in flowering plants are as follows. The plant makes a flower and the flower produce pollen. A pollinator transfers the pollen to another flower, and that pollinated flower goes to fruit. And inside the fruit, the seeds are formed. Lore, can you explain what it looks like when a maguey is getting ready to shoot up its quiote? Um, well... The first sign is the, the piña. When the plants are young, the piña is very small and narrow. And as the plant grows, you can see the piña growing bigger. The mature plants have a very big, wide piña. Uh, except for Karawinskis and other agaves that get long instead of getting wide. 
when a maguey reaches maturity, all its energy is used to produce one very tall flower stalk called quiote. Uh, when a maguey is ready to make this quiote, the center of the plant where the pencas used to fold out uh, starts to form a very tight spiral tip. And as it grows, it, it grows tall and looks like a gigantic asparagus. Then the quiote uh, grows upward and uses all the stored energy to fuel this to fuel this growth. So you know why why do some or, or most quiotes grow so tall? Well, it is it is very impressive how tall they can get. The the agave flowers, I think they seem disproportionate in relation to the size of the plant. And I think this is an evolutionary advantage, since taller flowers are more attractive to pollinators. And it is also a way to protect the reproductive organs from animals eating them. So let's talk about the flower blooms. Each species quiote produces a variation of inflorescence. An inflorescence is the reproductive portion of a plant that produces a cluster of flowers in a specific pattern. Well, the inflorescence can present many morphological variations depending on the species. But the main difference is that some agaves have spicate quiotes. That means they are on branch, like the quiote of the maguey javali. Uh, scientific name is agave combalis. They look like fluffy tails. It is actually like a really tall stalk, and all the flowers are very small flowers growing attached to the stalk. The other kind of quiote is the paniculate. These are branch quiotes. Uh, from the stalk, branches grow out and the flowers only grow on the tip of these branches. I think most of the agaves that are used for mezcal have these paniculate quiotes, like oletobalas, cuiches, espadines have the paniculate Quiote. The flowering shoot is racemoid, meaning the youngest flowers are at the top and the oldest flowers are at the base of the stalk. The maguey flowers bloom for several weeks, allowing pollinations to occur over a long period of time. Maguey flowers are bisexual, however, it separates over time. Uh, meaning the flower is first male and after a few days the male part dries up and the female part becomes receptive. That's amazing. Um, so now that we have an understanding of the anatomy of the inflorescence, let's get into pollination. Pollination occurs when pollen from a flower's anthers or the male part of the plant rubs or drops onto a pollinator. 
the pollinator then takes the pollen to another flower where the pollen sticks to the stigma or the female part. The fertilized flower later yields fruit and then seeds. The flowers of the agave are particularly well-structured for producing and containing nectar. The flowers of some species of agave open at night and the flowers of other species are open during the day. Many species of agave are pollinated by bats. Some flowers produce a musky perfume that attracts some species of bats. And some flowers even have a shape that makes it very easy for bats to get the nectar. The bats are really important, but they are not the only pollinators. During the day, the agave flowers get pollinated by bees, bumblebees, wasps, moths, and birds, like hummingbirds and perches. So in order to have seeds, we need to have a biodiverse, like pollinator-friendly ecosystem. Because all of these animals need to drink water and they need trees for shade and shelter. They need places where they can build nests and reproduce. Yeah, I mean, it, it is it's, it is such a, a harmony and a balance between, um, you know, these insects and animals and, and the plants themselves. Um, so if the flowers are successfully pollinated, they will produce fruits and contain seeds. And, you know, it's been documented that a single quiote has contained over 750,000 seeds. Well, yes, I, I think a quiote can have uh, all those seeds, but that doesn't mean they are all viable. Um, maybe a healthy quiote flowering in an area with lots of pollinators can produce around 15,000 viable seeds. And well, compare that to the about 20 huelos and agaves Padin will produce over its lifetime. Yeah, that's quite a difference. Um, so, you know, of these 15,000 viable or so seeds, um, do you have any idea what the rate of success is um, for those seeds in the wild? Um, again, the wild that naturally drops its seeds. Of all those seeds, only a very small amount will successfully germinate and survive and grow into an adult plant. Um, maybe, I don't know, for, from one to five agaves will grow around this place. Uh, from the seeds that came from the quiote. Uh, if, if we intervene, if we go and collect all these seeds, we could have 15,000 baby plants. And if we take care of them until they are big and strong enough to plant them back in the wild, that, uh, compared to one to five agaves, I think it's a huge impact. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, so what what do these seeds look like? The seeds of the agave are shiny black. They have different sizes, but they all tend to be flat, making them really easy to transport by the wind. 
Yeah. And, you know, I think it's important to emphasize how difficult these environments can be for the plants, uh, which is why they've adapted to have so many reproductive mechanisms. So, Lore, can you um, describe some of some things that can occur in nature that can, um, you know, impede the production of seeds? Well, in some cases, the flowers can get damaged by wind or maybe by a storm. Or the flowers can not get pollinated due to lack of pollinators in the area. So this can encourage the growth of bulbilos on the flower branches of some species. Actually, farmers sometimes cut the flowers to encourage the bulbilos to form. This is happening a lot with agaves that tend not to make viable seeds. You know, um, not all agaves produce bulbilos, not all agave produce hijuelos, and not all agaves produce viable seeds. Yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense that farmers would, you know, employ like all of these different strategies in order to get as many viable plants as, as possible. Yes, I think... Um that if we are sure we can uh, have like a couple hundred little bulbilos from a plant, that is definitely better than risk it and let this go to fruit with the possibility of not getting any viable seeds. Yeah, and also like an experienced you know, cultivator, farmer, maguero, um, would would know like what plants produce the viable seeds and what plants don't? Yeah, they usually um, have enough experience to make these decisions. So I know the next question is going to be difficult to answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway. What can you tell us about crossbreeding among maguey species? Oh, well, I certainly do not know much about that. I think that is a scientific subject that is still being studied and analyzed. But the huge majority of agave that currently exists, exists because of natural environmental conditions. Each generation will have a certain amount of genetic variations. These variations could be uh, crossbreeding or mutations. But the thing is that genetic changes occur very slowly over time. Through evolution, certain desirable traits are naturally selected because in some way that trait helps the agave survive and reproduce. Mm. Um, for example, if two agaves are flowering at the same time in the same area and they are genetically compatible, there is the possibility to successfully cross-pollinate. Uh, in, in episode one, we actually talk about agave lioba. Uh, it's commonly known as coyote or coyota. And it's been newly classified as a family of agave. It used to be thought of a cross 
between Karewinski and Potatorum. And in my experience, I have collected seeds from a Madre Quiche Quixote and plant these seeds. And then when they grow, I get mostly Madre Quiches, but also some little tobalas are growing in there. And well, this Quixote was blooming near uh, uh, Tobala Quixotes. So I think that's an example of the the agaves being able to make seeds with the genetic information that came from pollen of another Quixote. I am not even sure how to explain that scientifically. There's so many, I think that there's so many examples of this, like the more that, you know, you talk to people that are in the fields doing the work. Um, but I do, I have two questions. And one is regarding the Lioba, um, you were saying that they used to be thought of as a cross between a Karwinski and a Potatorum. So even though they're newly classified, they're still, they're still technically considered to be a cross between those two species, right? Well, we don't actually know that. Ah, I see. And this is where it continues to be complicated, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, all of the species are a result of evolution, but no one actually knows how exactly evolution happened. Yeah. You know, it also reminds me of the um, Tequilana being a genetic relative of the Angustifolia, right? Like we know, we know that they share genetic information. Yeah. Uh, we know that these agaves not only look alike, they also share a common ancestor. But these two agaves, uh, the evolution, I don't think it was like like evolution in the wild. Uh, these two agaves, they have a um, really short period of maturation compared to other agaves. And they also produce large, sugar-rich piñas that are really good for mezcal production. Uh, both of these agaves are a result of humans that have been selecting and reproducing the agaves that work best for specific applications. And this happens for mezcal production, for pulque, for fibers, for protective fencing, and a number of things. Right. But not all human intervention is good, right? Like, especially as the demand for agave spirits grows, like I'm thinking about clonal monocropping and deforestation. Well, actually the speed as which the demand for mezcal grows could break the balance in which the relationship between humans and maguey was sustained for nearly 10,000 years. This is why we need to practice regenerative agriculture. We need to create and maintain healthy biodiverse ecosystems. Absolutely. And for those of you that haven't heard the conversation that Lore and I had uh, about the work she's doing in Copita Field, um, please take a listen because we go deep into regenerative agriculture in that episode. But for now, I think we're going to leave it here. Lore, thank you so much for uh, joining us on this three-part mini-series all about agave plants. 
Sabrina, thank you so much for having me here. I have been enjoying a lot talking about all of this. And thank you, everyone that is listening. Uh, talk to you soon. Yep. Thanks, everyone. Talk to you next time. Hey Hey Agave is a production of Tuyo NYC. Brittany Prater is our editor. Your hosts are Gabrielle Velasquez Zazueta and me, Sabrina Lassard. Our music is by Milagro Verde. Find them on Instagram at Milagro underscore Verde BK. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Salicita.